Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 15? We're going to pick up in verse 12. John chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 12. We're only going to read to verse 17. As you're turning, let me ask a question. Have you ever been hurt? Got a spot. Have you ever been hurt by someone at church? Have you ever been hurt by somebody at church? I can say honestly, seems like I get this big spot off my glasses. I can say honestly, the most grievous, man, y'all look better. I'm just kidding. Uh, I can say honestly, the most grievous wound I have ever endured was by the hands of a fellow church member. I was young, I was 18, and when I heard it, when I was wounded by him, it was the equivalent to me as if I was wounded by Jesus Christ. It hurt. I didn't go to church for a long time after that. And let's just face it, when tensions come, when trials arise, when we get stressed out, what do we do? We stress out each other. It's like a book titled, Why Christians Eat Themselves. We hurt each other. And there's many, many reasons, but I just want to stick with one. The model that we see in the Bible is a church membership. It's a covenant When you join a church, you enter into a covenant. You take vows the same way we take vows at weddings. And we know what a covenant is. It is an agreement between two parties with certain obligations and promises. We we promise to care for one another. We promise we're obligated to care for the church. This should be a bond, a friendship, That is loving and gracious. Too often those last two terms do not describe the relationships we see in many churches. The question I want to address in our passage is how can we strengthen that relationship? How can we stop Christians from eating one another? And I just want to pick it up, our sermon in the sentence. I'm going to copy Jesus this morning. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's pray and then we'll we'll read our passage. Heavenly Father, over and over it seems like Paul says that you do things out of your good pleasure, out of the love you have for us. Father, I pray you would help us to receive these words with faith and with love. Faith knowing that you speak to us because you love us, and love in order to return it to you in obedience. So would you pour out your spirit that these words may be written on the walls of our hearts never to be effaced. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read the words of John 15, verse 12 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. Again, Jesus discusses the issue of love. Now, why is love so important? Well, let's consider where the disciples are headed. Jesus says that he sends them as sheep among wolves. They're going into a volatile, violent world. They're going into a stressful situation. Now tell me, what do stressed out people do? They stress everyone else out. Now for them... For us, it's one thing to leave a stressful environment. You can just get in your car and leave. It's another thing to leave a stressful relationship. That one is far more challenging, isn't it? We ourselves understand this challenge. We find ourselves in tense situations because of evil passions in our heart. We can't get along to get along. And I'm not a prophet, and I work for a non-profit. But when I look into the future, I see more than simply internal pressures within the church. I see external pressures coming. We live in a world that is of a rapidly changing culture where the church is seen as an enemy. So as we have these internal pressures within the church and we have these external pressures outside of the church, how will we keep our commitments, our covenant to one another? How will the friendships within this church thrive? How will love continue to survive? Well, Jesus gives them Jesus gives us an answer. We must love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now, for us to understand the weight of that passage, we must first understand how Jesus has loved us. The context of Jesus' love for us is called the covenant of grace. God has made a covenant to us. And this should make sense. Uh, Love is not an ambiguous force. Love flows through channels. It flows through the channels of our marriages, the channels between parent and child, the channels through our, 
or associations. It's not a force. It's more like a river. And the strength and the depth of the river depends upon the depth of the channel through which it flows. Love exists in relationships. Love exists in particular obligations. We see that in our marriages. We see that in our friendships. As I mentioned earlier, when we join the church, we take vows to one another. We are in covenant together. How does that play out in our relationship with God? Well, it should strike us as peculiar that Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Is that not an amazing passage? When we look in the very beginning, we look to Adam. We see Adam is in a covenant relationship with God as well. We call it the covenant of works. It's a relationship Adam had to work at. And in that relationship, God is creator. God is preserver. God is governor. God is judge. Adam is servant. Adam's whole relationship can be defined by the little phrase, do this and live. He was told to do things if he wanted to have a blessed life. He was a servant. However, Adam sinned, as we all know, and everyone since then has not only been born in a relationship to God as master-servant, but we have been born into a relationship of righteous master and wicked servant. Paul goes on in Romans 2 to say that every one of us knows what God requires. We all know our job description. We all know what God expects out of us. And we don't do it. We don't do it. If we were to ask, are all men born as wicked servants? Paul would say, yes. Yes. I'm listening to the book, The Lord of the Flies, in which William Golding says, maybe there is a beast out there, or maybe it is only us. It's not evil out there. It's in us. We're wicked servants. So for Jesus to make this comment should knock our socks off. What we see is that God has entered into a new relationship with us. We call it a covenant of grace. We are not servants that have to work at this relationship. Christ gives us grace. And he calls us his friend. He is our Lord and our Savior. We are his friends. No longer do we operate under the principle of do this and live. Now we operate under the principle that because he lives, we do. We don't work to earn his love. We work because we have his love. We see this in Abraham. 
Only once in the Bible is someone called a friend of God, and that is with Abraham. And it says in the same passage that God revealed himself to Abraham. In the same way, God has revealed himself to us. We are his friend. He does not stand aloof. He does not give us a cold shoulder. He does not fail to return our phone calls. God has bound himself to us in a covenant. We are friends with God. Now for me, that raises a whole host of questions. Most of you have never moved. I have. Friendships in my life have not been long-lasting because, well, I've moved away. Or you have work buddies, and then when you get a new job, they never call you again. Or there's even, what if you're a bad friend? What secures the relationship, the friendship we have with God? Our friendship with God is secured by the love of God. Jesus says this, Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love that undergirds our friendship, which upholds our covenant commitments, than the love that Jesus Christ has shown to us. We often see this passage of Scripture used with things like the Wounded Warriors Project. Talking about wounded veterans, no love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. But I don't really like that. Because they have things in common. They have things in common. They're fighting for the same cause. They're on the same team. But when Jesus uses this verse, are we on the same team? No. We're wicked servants. We on the same page? What we see is that Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Not when we were friendly, but when we were unfriendly. Not when we were godly, but when we were ungodly. Not when we were buddies, but when we were enemies. This is why we sing hymns like this. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this that calls the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. What wonderful love is this? That is the love that undergirds this relationship. It is the pinnacle from which all other forms of love is judged. When John says this is love, he does not give us a definition. If you go, if I do any premarital counseling and I say, How do you know he loves you? How are most people going to answer? Because he has a warm, fuzzy feeling? Because he puts heart emojis next to my name? How are we going to answer? We're going to answer because of what they do. 
He loves me. He cares for me. He checks on me. He provides for me. He does for me. When John wants to define love, he does it just like that. That this is love. Not that we loved God, but God loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins. Do we see how wonderful this security is? We, our friendship is not secured by how good of friends we are, nor is it severed by how much of a failure we are. Our love is secured by the love of Jesus Christ. Our friendship is secure by the love of Jesus Christ. Now you may be asking yourself, Zach, does God really know what he's gotten into? Does God know how spectacular of a failure I may become? Maybe his love will reach his limit. We've had that happen, haven't we? We've had friends go off the deep end and we say, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I've got to cut the cord. My love has run out. Will God ever say that of us? What we find is that our friendship with God is secured by His gracious election. Notice what Jesus says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus says, in effect, this friendship did not begin with your fruit. This friendship did not begin with your decision. I began this friendship. I invested in this friendship. I will uphold this friendship. I will make this friendship fruitful. If God chose us when we were enemies, when we were faithless and fruitless and wicked servants, then the entirety of our friendship rests Upon grace. St. Augustine says this. We were evil. And we were chosen. That we might become good. By the grace of him who chose us. For salvation is not by grace. If our goodness came first. But it is by grace. And therefore God's grace. Did not find us good. God's grace. Makes us good. Let me just put it very clearly. The all-wise God who knows beginning and end knew what he was getting into. The almighty God has enough power to deal with any problems we put in his path. The all-loving, all-good God who is the fount of every blessing, his love never runs dry. Gehardus Foss says, God cannot stop loving you because God never started. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. Our friendship with God is, is bound by two fixed points, his sacrificial love and his gracious election. Nothing, nothing can hinder God's Friendship with us.
This is the love that Jesus models for us. This is the friendship, the context, the form from which our love for one another functions. How does that friendship we have with God make our friendship in this room different from, say, the friendship we have at the hunting camp? Let me give two things for us. For one, friendships should be the defining factor of our church. It should be the defining factor of our church. The friendships within this church are a covenantal friendship. No one here makes, becomes friends with somebody and then takes a vow. When you join the church, you take a vow. We take vows to our own hurt. This is friendship on a whole nother level. And let me just say something very frank. Friendships are hard. Friendships are hard. Friendships take work. Friendships require us to be vulnerable. To give help, that's easy. Everyone here will give their shirts off their backs, won't they? How many of you here like to receive help? Very few. It is hard to be vulnerable. And yet the friendships which we have with God give shape to the friendships we have with one another. Deep and abiding friendship should be the norm of which we have as a church. Now don't we see that in Scripture? Think of Ruth, chapter 1, Ruth and Naomi, they're coming back from Moab. What does Ruth tell Naomi? Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you sleep, I will sleep. Where you die, I will be buried. She just took a vow. That is a friendship between two people of two different age groups from two different social settings, from two different countries even, and yet it is a deep and abiding friendship. If you're reading the Bible plan with us this year, we see it with David and, and Jonathan. They enter a friendship and a covenant with each other. They make vows to each other. And think of this, the poor shepherd boy and the son of a king. And how does that friendship work out? Jonathan takes off his royal robes and gives them to David. Jonathan humbles himself. But David lifts himself up and even eats at the king's table. They leave their comfort zone. They leave their privileges at the door because they have a friendship bound by covenant. The 17th century Dutchman Johannes Coxeus says, For they can be certain that in those who possess the same spirit of faith, the same obedience, the same love to God, they have the same feelings, the same will, the same joy, the same sorrows, 
Their heart and soul is just like their own heart and soul. I want you to look around. These are not your co-members. They're your friends. Are we going to upset each other? You betcha. Are we going to get on each other's nerves? You betcha. Are we going to leave? No. Are we going to quit loving? No. Our friendship is built on far more than how friendly we are. Our friendship is built upon the sacrificial love and the electing grace flowing from Jesus Christ. God in His providence has yoked us together and He will hold us together by the same cords of which He holds us to Jesus Christ. Now if love, if if friendship is the form our church takes, love should be what fills it. Love should be what fills it. The covenant God has made us a covenant people, and He expects us to have a covenantal love. Now what does covenantal love look like? How is it different from other kinds of love? Well, let me give you a definition from Sally Lloyd-Jones. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. A never-stopping, a never-giving-up, an unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. Is that the love we would describe toward one another? Now I know what you're thinking, Zach. We are a loving church. Yes, we are. We are. But have, have we loved to the point of shedding blood? Well, I've bled a couple times here because I, I poked myself. But other than that, no, we haven't. There's room for our love to grow. I think of Jessica. And I can use her as a sermon illustration. She's not here, so it's even better. When we got married 14 years ago, I thought, I love this woman. And then when we had Zoe, I looked back at when we got married, and I say, I didn't love her at all. And now we have Maggie, and I look back at the last 14 years, and I think of how little I have loved her in comparison to the love I feel right now. What has changed? The love. It has is, it is grown exponentially over 14 years. I look at our church. Look, that love can continue to grow. Being friends is a luxury. We want to spend our love on our time, our hobbies, our families, but we cannot use those as an excuse to avoid the commandment to love one another. One man said the expensive thing about friends is not what one does for them, but what out of love one leaves undone. Love for one another is missing an early bedtime. Love for one another is a weekend getaway you don't get to get away from. Love for one another is the long hours waiting and praying when you'd much rather be somewhere else. Love for one another is showing up when you'd rather be somewhere shutting down. Love for one another is a command. 
It is a sacrificial command which makes demands on all of our life, and yet it is a command that is given to us. So I tell us here, you want to know a deep and abiding love? Know Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in just a minute. What friends we have in Jesus. Think on your life. How many friends did you have that you have no more? Death, divorce, disagreements, disputes. There's many a reasons why we have had friends that have left us. Jesus is not like those friends. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He has bound himself with a covenantal bond with his sacrificial love and electing grace. He will never leave us. If he is not your friend, he invites you. If he is your friend, we're all in this church. How do we grow in that love? How do we further our obedience to this command? If friendship is the context from which our love grows, we must, if we want the river to flow faster, we've got to make it deeper. How do we make it deeper? Get to know one another. I encourage everyone here, to find out one new thing about someone in this church. You'd be amazed at the things you'll find out. Find out one new thing. And then to love one another, we have to actually do it. That means caring for one another, both body and soul. That means meeting our physical needs. That means meeting our spiritual needs. That means giving help. That means being man enough to receive help. This church is not a fire department that you call when everything in your life is going up in smoke. This church is a friend to be with you always. To do that, we must make calls to one another, trips to one another, lunch with one another. We must laugh with one another. We must cry with one another. We must love with one another. We must Love one another. My challenge to us all is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now can we pray? Heavenly Father, what love is this? The love that Jesus has given us is far beyond our comprehension, far beyond the capacity any of us have to give. So I pray as Paul does in 2 Corinthians. Open wide our hearts. Enlarge our tents that we may be able to show greater love to the church you have given us. That others may see this love that we have for one another and ask of the Savior who has loved us so well. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.